Good morning. We'll be in Zechariah 9 again and uh, be making your way over there. And it is good to be with you and enjoy the song service this morning. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of those songs that, you know, growing up, you, you just kind of, you know, obviously growing up, you know, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that good stuff and all the fun ones. And you're kind of like, oh, I don't know about all that. And uh, the other ones and, and uh, you know then you start working at Riverside and typically obviously we didn't get to do it this year but typically uh, on the last day of school we go to the nursing homes and sing the uh, Christmas carols and you start learning kind of the words to some of these songs that you don't typically uh, hear at least uh, in church you hear it on the radio and that type of thing and you start falling in love with those verses and the power of those words and uh, you know, the importance and really the comparison of kind of what we're going to do this morning in Zechariah 9 of how the world works uh, versus how the story of the gospel works. And, you know, I don't think anyone, I think this is one of the reasons why one of the, one of the things in apologetics that we have is that nobody is going to write the story the way it happened, you know. And I think we can even see that in our own movies you know, there are those Christmas movies who that everything goes right and it's just beautiful and, you know, you got the Hallmark ending and all that good stuff and, you know, every time a bell, you know, all that good thing. And then you've got, like, the Christmas vacation where everything goes wrong. You know, he's got that idea of what Christmas is supposed to look like and nothing goes right. And, you know, it tends to be a little more in that vein than anything else. And so it's really important for us to put some flesh on it, you know, the reality of the situation and... And I think that, you know, oddly enough, and maybe hopefully I'm not reading too much into this and kind of shoving stuff into Zechariah 9 that's not meant, uh, is this comparison and how, yes, Jesus brought peace. And yes, there are those moments, I think, that, that we capture at this time of year. But also just the chaos and the chaoticness of what is going on around and will continue to go in the world until Jesus returns. And yet it's that peace that passeth understanding that we find through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So in Zechariah 9, we find a shift in the book. We go from you know these things that are happening and actively working to uh, in Acts 9 or visions, one, or Zechariah 1 through 8, we get these visions that he's having. And then in Zechariah 9 through 14, the end of the book, we kind of get into this apocalyptic literature. Very similar to the end of Daniel, very similar to the the uh, end of Revelation, and really the whole book of Revelation. So you have things that have happened in, in the past, things that are happening in the present, and things that are going to happen. Uh, not to reference the Christmas carol here, but you have those, you know, the ghosts of each section. And I think that in starting in Zechariah 9, you start to see this. And it's important as we read it to kind of connect those. You know, we look at Revelation and and man, things can get crazy pretty quickly, the things that people read into that. But we also have to kind of base ourselves in the historical documents as well. The things that he mentions here in the first uh, eight verses of chapter 9 would be things that they would recognize. There would be parts of it that, that made sense to them that we have to do a little digging to kind of come to grips with. Uh, you know, you think about in the latter verses that we'll get to, this idea of this coming Messiah. You know, and, and it's easy for us in, 2000, in 2020 to look back and go, how did those guys miss it? How did so many people miss it? Well, it's because the world works a certain way 
And God works a different way. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And so the things that we typically look at, and as a coach, obviously you get analytical, here's the things that must happen to be successful. And God takes those analytics and goes, I don't need them (laughs) to be successful. I don't need them for my will to be done. You can buy into my will, and that's where I want you, but if you choose not to, that's not going to affect the outcome. And that's the God that I want to serve. Not this, as, as a friend put it, not this God, this older gentleman who plays goalie and every once in a while the ball makes it through. Oops, I made a mistake. I want a God who is sovereign and says, yes, there are going to be things that you don't understand. There are things that are going to happen that you're going to grieve over, things that you're going to mourn over, things that you don't understand as a part of the puzzle, but you can put your trust into the fact that I got this. And so as we look at chapter 9, you look at verses 1 through 8, and I'm not going to read uh, those, those verses in detail, but what we find here is God's judgment on the three rivals of Israel. And really, if you look at the rest of the Old Testament, most of every rival uh, that you see Israel go against, and I'm not talking about the big empires that come, that they probably would not have considered themselves rivals of Israel, you know, this, this little small, considering small group of people. What I'm talking about is your Philistines, your people like that. And so he, he brings those people back up. He, he talks about in verses 1 through 8, Aram. Aram was sometimes an ally to Israel, and sometimes they were an enemy. They were kind of that, that idea, if you look in, in Revelation, you know, I wish you were cold, I wish you were hot, but this lukewarm, we never know which way you're going to go. You're not really committed to anything. Uh, and that kind of makes me turned off from you. You know, you never know what you're going to get. Going back to that coach's mind, I like the guy who I know what I'm getting when I put him in. All right, He may make some mistakes, but I know I'm going to get everything he's got. And so you, you see this idea, Damascus, uh, a city that will come up later in the book of Acts, right, is located in this area just to make some connections there. Uh, Hamath is another one that's mentioned. Uh, this area is referenced by Jesus, Tyre and Sidon, where you see him reference them in Luke chapter 10. Tyre was uh, considered a fortress, uh, an island fortress that no one thought could ever be brought down. And sure enough, in just a few years, Alexander the Great comes through, and as he does uh, to most, he conquers it. And so there's, there's this kind of word play that you necessarily wouldn't get Unless you were from there, right? You know, it's kind of on their sign every town you roll into. They've got the little sign that tells them why they're special, you know. And that would be kind of their claim to fame. Once again, a, a kind of an idea of revelation. You know, when, when this story hits them, the Israelites go, Oh, yeah, we know who you're talking about. Whereas we, in 2020, go, I have no idea, nor do I care all that much, right? Uh, but sometimes when you do that, you kind of miss some some important aspects there. And then, of course, the Philistine cities, which we probably, uh, you know, would, would be more connection to. We've heard more stories about them. Uh, and he, he referenced them as foreigners, but in the, the Hebrew here is illegitimate children. And, and we tend to think of illegitimate in one way, you know, patriarchally speaking, that a father has nothing to do with these children. But we know in this spiritual context, it's people who have chosen to distance themselves from the patriarch. These are people who, who at least have come into contact with Israel enough to make a decision. 
Uh, and even at one point, and this may be an obscure connection here that I'm making that has no business being made, but at one point you even see the Philistines being on the same team with David, uh, which is an interesting little uh, situation that occurs uh, as David tends to bring these, and once again, here's another messianic idea, these outcasts, or maybe a word that we might use, deplorables, uh, to his cause. Uh, people that necessarily the Israelites wouldn't have anything to do with tend to be drawn to David. Uh, and of course, we'll see that also, that connection. Also, these are, these are areas that Philip, uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, Philip uh, reaches out to them. It, and it actually says there towards the end of the text on these cities that they would one day worship God. It mentions how they may have eaten the meat with the blood, which is unclean, but then one day they will worship God. And, and what we realize in Acts chapter 2, that all of these areas are represented on the day of Pentecost. So in verses 9 through 17, which is where we'll spend the most of our time, we have this comparison, once again, as I mentioned, the way the world sees things and how success is ranked versus how God can use any situation. And as Christmas is a great example of this, we see in the life of Jesus, and a lot of times, we, once again, we see this peaceful manger scene, and, and, and that's great. Uh, but there's a lot of chaos going on, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a king that's out to stomp any claim to royalty. He, he wants to kill this child. You know, There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of meat and flesh on the bone. There's a lot of chaos. I keep going back to that word. But there's a lot of warfare and peace. And what Jesus brings is this amazing comparison of warfare and peace. And immediately in my mind, it comes to that discussion we talked about a few weeks ago between Jesus and Pilate. If my kingdom is not of this world, right? But if they were, there would be a fight. And we can infer in that that God would win. It's not even close. It wouldn't even be a competition. Once again, comparing the fact that, you know, would Israel really be much of a, a blip on the radar to the empires of the world? Uh, it was just another area to be conquered. And yet, even through those empires, as we've studied the prophets, what does God do? He brings a leader. You know, all of the chaos that happens, you think about all the empires that rise to power, and what's the consistent one? Daniel. 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 Even in the situation where he says, hey, you've given me this great message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in second in command, right? And Daniel's got to just be scratching his head like, I just told you that your kingdom would be over in the matter of hours. What does this even mean to me? And so you see in the chaos and the warfare and the stubbornness of the world that God is able to bring, and as we say, the cream rises to the top. Not because of who they are, but who God is. In verse 9, uh, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So compare that, right? How many of us equate, and especially put yourself in, in the ancient Old Testament, how many of them would equate victorious with humility, right? And it's hard for us. You know, we have a chaotic world, but I don't know that we even touch the hem of the garment 
of what's going on at this point in human history. And really, it's hard for me. You know, I see a little headline in Germany. I don't care about Germany. What's going on in America, right? And it's hard for me to even connect with people on the other side of the planet, but much less 900 B.C., 500 B.C., and all the chaos that's going on. And he says, hey, here's how you're going to know that your king is different. That he's going to be victorious. And in being victorious, he's going to be humble. And we can even go so far as to quote the New Testament, even humble enough for the death on a cross. Obedient. Once again, nobody is going to write that story. Death is not on the equation, right, of a great story, of a great winning victorious, right? We think of death as the opposite of being victorious until Jesus shows up. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. Right? We, we have that phrase, uh, walk softly and carry a big stick. Right? We, 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 from a government standpoint, uh, you know, we, we say a strong, the best offense is, is, is a good defense. Uh, that's going bye-bye, sadly. It hurts my heart to say that. But you know, we, we, have to, we have to have a, a military. And we have to have might. And we have to show off what we've got from time to time to, to ward off this. And he's saying that's not how the kingdom of God works. He's going to take away. He doesn't need those things to be victorious. He doesn't, once again, Pilate, if my kingdom was this world, it wouldn't matter what you tried to do. It wouldn't matter what weapons you have. I'm going to be victorious. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle. Jump down to verse 11. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. Hope. How can we be different in this world? To live with hope. To live with hope. There are so many people out there who are hopeless. And as sad as that is, what a great opportunity we have. The smallest aspect of kindness the little meagerness, meager kindness that I can somehow put out in the world can be used as a seed, right? That idea of a mustard seed. I mean, if you took a pen and you dotted your hand, that's the size of a mustard seed that grows into a tremendous kingdom that, that squeezes out room, that is aggressive, that is offensive, that will one day rule the entire world. We see that in aspects, right? This morning we worship along with people all over this planet who believe the same things that we do in the fact that it all begins with Jesus as Lord. Whitney has been on this prayer call a couple of nights a week uh, dealing with everything that's going on in our country and there are people all over the world praying for our country. And it's just an amazing thing to me that just... You know, and some of it's weird. Some of it I'm not used to. Some of it, I mean, they're blowing shofars and, I mean, they're doing all that stuff. And to me, I'm like, man, that's just weird. Like, I don't get that. I'm not into that whole thing. But they're doing it in faith, right? It's that meager, that dot of a mustard seed that can change the entire world, that God can use what you can possibly give. We've seen that this morning in action. 
You know, we, I, I appreciate the prayer so much that our hearts and her heart would be in the right place. But really, what's it all about? It's showing kindness. And then what the world does with that, the world does with that. And we're not shocked by that. <laughs> the world is the world. Paul himself has said it, says it multiple times. You can't, you can't expect what Jesus gives us from the world. You, know, you don't expect water from a dry well. But boy, there are people out there, they're pumping as hard as they can. And they think they're going to get something other than what they've already got for thousands of years. But we have a well that does not run dry. Freedom to the prisoners. Come back to the place of safety. All you prisoners who still have hope, I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Judah is my bow and Israel is my arrow. Jerusalem is my sword. Now notice who he mentions. He, he mentions this idea of unification. He's going to bring people together. There are times where Jesus says, I, I've, I've, brought, I've come to really want to bring people together, but some people will not be able to handle the sword. The sword will divide. I will set people against one another. And, and once again, he's trying to give you as much of a heads up. Can you imagine being Jesus and knowing what Jesus knew and trying in some shape, form, or fashion to give us a heads up on what's coming? I think of the frustration John must have felt in Revelation, right? Trying to tell us what heaven is like using earthly symbols and objects and going, well, it's, this is what, it, you know, and trying to explain those things, you know. And we've probably all been there, you know, when we try to explain things to young people, uh, you know, and maybe they just kind of give us that, huh, you know, I just don't know what's a look, you know. You're like, oh, I wish I could shake you. And sometimes I do shake them, and it's like, this does not help anything. Or maybe in the, in the situation, we turn our volume up, you know, if we think somebody's not understanding, oh, I'll talk louder. Like, that, that really happens and helps. Uh, you know, and I can't imagine having all this wonderful knowledge and, and trying to share it with people and trying to comfort people. The Lord of Heaven's armies, His people will, uh, will protect His people, and they will defeat their enemies by hurling great stones. Uh, and, and this is interesting because it, it kind of mentions this, not to get off track too much, but the Maccabees in the 100 B.C., you know, uh, the, the Maccabees revolt against the Greeks and have a lot of success and actually are able to run them out uh, and, and kind of their tactics that they would have used against the strongholds. Uh, some, this is somewhat fulfilled in that, in that, what he's talking about here. Verse 16, On that day the Lord their God will rescue His people just as a shepherd rescues his sheep. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain and the young women will flourish on new wine. And as we wrap up our time together, I do want to look at verse 16 as he talks about a shepherd. Now, you know, I would be willing to guess that the reason a shepherd is necessary is that every sheep is different. Right? Anybody that's ever been around any animals know that generally uh, they, they probably have a, the same mind, but even they, to some degree, have different personalities, different things and troubles that might uh, require them. You know, I've never owned any cattle, but um, I imagine if you have, there are probably some cows that occasionally want to get out of the fence. You know, there's some that, you know, like being in that safe. You know, uh, I've had a couple of dogs, and that's not really any comparison uh, but, you know, Sadie, you know, if she got outside, she was on the other side of the neighborhood. Like, done, gone. You, you can't let her out because she's just going to be 
eating all the cat food of the neighbors and everybody else, whatever, she's going to be gone. She's, you know, the dog we've got now stays close to home. I, I want to see, I want to make sure I can see my people, all right? Got to go do my thing, come back, see my people, go do my thing, see my people, you know? And, and even they have different personalities. So the whole need for a shepherd is the fact that there's this whole idea that sheep tend to scatter and they need direction. And all of a sudden, we see the connection, right? It's very easy for me, and I'm sure people would lock me into the 99, right? The 99. Oh, well, he's, he's safely in the, in the house, right? He's in there. But what we have to realize is that all of us at some point were the one. He left the place that we all want to be to come to chaotic, topsy-turvy, roller coaster, virus-riddled... Humanity, And he put all of that on the line so that we might choose him. That we might choose him. I think about the knowledge of germs in the time of Jesus, right? Even in, in modern science, and, and Rick, you can disagree with me if you're in the house, but yeah, even in modern science, our idea of a cell has changed from, you know, and I've heard it put this way, you know, like the original thought was it was a, you know, Model T. You know, but what we know now is it's more like a Saturn V rocket. You know, it's got all these different things that, you know, nobody could think of that being in there. And Jesus knew all that. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knew that we could not choose him he knew that we would face grief and struggle and have a mourning so deep that we we can't express it to other people but he knows and depending on your relationship with him this morning the knowing can be a scary thing because i'll be honest as a enneagram seven and a positive happy-go-lucky guy there's a lot of things about myself i'd rather not know and if I don't want to know them, I certainly don't want anybody else to know them. And yet he does. And that can be intimidating. If you leave out the fact that he knows and he loves you anyways. That didn't stop him from leaving the throne of heaven to come after you with everything he's got. Willing to take everything that we could throw at him including the nails, the crown of thorns. I think about all the things in the last five years that I could have done without had I had the choice, right? And that was to save my own life. And yet the Savior chose to take all those things and more to save ours. This morning, if you have any need whatsoever, and I, I, I've been around long enough to know that every human being has a need, and maybe it's one that you don't, you're not even acquainted with. Or maybe you didn't know till you came this morning that, hey, I need this. Then we would love nothing more than to help you. We've assisted a stranger this morning. And, and as awesome as that is, we certainly do not want members of our body to leave here and not know that we're here for you as well. If you're not a member, if you're not a Christian, if you've not followed Christ, you've not obeyed what He says, there is a tremendous opportunity, and this is one of them. 
And, and I pray that amongst all my historical and all the stuff that I like to get into, and maybe you're like, dude, let's move on, let's get to something else, that somewhere in there, something hit you in your heart and convicted you to give your life to Him. And if that's the case, we're going to sing this song, and that's a great opportunity. After that, we're actually going to do share time. That may be an even better opportunity. If you've fallen away and, and you just need to make that public and you want our encouragement, or maybe you're like me, and every time I hear the truth, there's something that needs to be changed. We're here for you, and that encouragement comes with this song that right where you're sitting, that can happen. Because God, not because of how great we are and what a great eloquent speaker I am. Eloquence is not really, should not even be like my characteristic because that's not the case. But if there's something in there that you need to change, why not do it right now as we stand and sing?